0: Welcome to the Life and Deep Ellum podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. Hey, y'all. So, we're going to do one of the crazy, amazing, magical, weird things that we uh, do in the gathering at Life and Deep Ellum, which is talk to each other in church. What? So um, we are in our history journey of our transformation arc and we've been doing character studies. And so uh, we started with a character study of Ruth. Then we did uh, a couple of weeks and then did a question and answer uh, session on Ruth and that story, her story and her character. And then we kicked off John, not John the Baptist, but John the disciple. And so this week Is our, we've had, we heard from Kevin and then we heard from Daniela, and then this week we're gonna hear from both of them, but we're gonna hear from you first. So if you have questions about the character of John or any of the letters that John wrote or something that just has been sitting with you on your heart, on your mind since either Kevin preached or Daniela preached, we're here to stump. The preachers, no, I'm just joking. We're not here. They've got, they, how many, like, when you edit your sermon, so much ends up not in the, like, time that you, write. They've got so much fun facts and knowledge and all kinds of things about John. And so I'm hoping that there's a question, there's a burning question amongst you so that we can hear all the magic. Does anyone have a question about John?
1: And not just question, like a lot of you have been studying yourselves, so if you have things to add, also be our guest.
0: So I can come, last time we did this, the people live streaming couldn't hear the whole question sometimes, so I'm going to be walking around with a mic, or if you still would like to social distance, there's a mic over there.
1: Okay, this is not profound this time, I'm not trying to stump you. <laughs> yeah. Please just see this face. No, um. What's the connection between the book of John and then the letters of John? Were they written at the same time? Had he evolved as a person? You know what I mean? Like is it young life, older life, or kind of the same voice? Um, To my understanding, all of it was later on in his life. It wasn't like he wrote the gospel of John when he was younger, and then he goes and writes the other things later. It was all would have been a little bit later on in his life.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, so particularly the book of Revelation was when he was on the island of Patmos. Um, so he had been banished there um, after a sort of a failed assassination attempt somewhat on John's life. Um, but yeah, almost all of those letters were written in the same period of time. But it's important to note that for the gospel of John, that was actually written about 20 to 25 years after all of the other three gospels. So yeah. Yeah, but yeah, there may have only been a separation about five to seven years or so.
3: Uh, <laughs> my wife hates it when I do that. Uh, when we preach, and when we're preaching in a series, and you sort of have the voice of the other person, you know, for me, usually there's like, oh, crap, I forgot that one thing, or the thing that I could have said but didn't say. So maybe this is more a question for you, Daniela, because you were Great, second. You. <laughs> but if... Kevin, if you want to answer, is there anything that you wanted to have stressed or you felt you should have stressed but you didn't stress uh, as you revised the sermon in your mind after you delivered it?
1: Mm. Um, For me, I know, I mean, I mentioned this, like, briefly last week. Also, it's not fair that you get to ask questions because you were not here to answer questions. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, I mentioned this last week. It's hard, right, when you take a character – I mean, it's not even just a topic, right? Like you take a character and then you go from there. You know, you talk about the context and you know their life and then you talk about their writings and even then you can't take like the book of John and, or you know, the book of 1st John. or You can't take a book and just like do all of it in one sitting, that's just, it's not, that's not a good idea for lots of reasons. Um, so I know for me, it was wanting to take 1st John and do it justice with its major themes um, which were God is light and God is love, but leaning heavily on the love portion because I was really wanting to pull from the Gospel of John too. Um, but we really do see in First John that there is—it's this constant back and forth between God is light and God is love. It isn't just God is love, God is love, God is love. It's God is light. He is holy and He is good and. Because of those things, it should lead us to this. And so it's this back and forth, back and forth. Whereas, I mean, last week I focused heavily on love, touched on light at the end, kind of tied it together and pulled the correlation um, for my, want to say, the second chapter. Um, but that would, be, that would be something for me that I would like to be able to focus more on, you know, talk about both things. Because it isn't just one thing or the other. God is, God is both.
2: Yeah, I feel like for me, it's funny, Daniel, I was actually the opposite, but I think it's because we kind of spoke on two two different sides of the of the token and actually we did that on purpose because we you know, we, we sat down for a few minutes before we both preached and kind of said, Hey, when we look at John, like what are the two, you know, kind of things that we could focus on? And one of the things I said was I really want to focus on preteen John and sort of teenage John and then into young adult John and really the progression of like John's early life. And in John's early life, you really see this real like radical zest for truth. And so I feel like in my sermon that I gave I really focused more on that. I wanted to go more into the love part just because it it almost seems like the love aspects of John's gospel writings really came at towards the end of his life. When he's writing that book of John, when he's writing his letters, you really start to see this free expression of love. And I feel like because I had focused on the teenage version of John when he first followed Jesus, he was so captured in this truth and the narrative of who Jesus was that I was kind of bound to that. So I had the kind of opposite effect. But I'm glad we both that's got to preach. <laughs> so yeah, that's a really great question.
4: Hello. Um, I don't know what to do. What's up, Chad? Hands here. <laughs> so, yeah, remember the question I asked you this morning? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go there. Um, I think about John, you know, and the, gosp- the gospel of John is very different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so I was just going to ask, why do you think, what is the general um, consensus, I guess, of why John is considered a gospel when it's so different than what you see in the pattern of Matthew, Mark, and Luke? How did that become the fourth gospel? (laughs)
2: <laughs> all right, so um, yeah, so generally uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call the synoptic gospels, right? So that they all sort of have the same stylistic style of writing. Um, all those three gospels really stem from Mark. So Mark is the sort of uh, go-to seminal text that that ignites the story that comes out later on in Luke and in Matthew. Uh, so when you look at those three writers, they're all very similar. Um, the way that I like to think about it is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So that's sort of the order we'll take. So Matthew first went to the Jewish uh, audience, So really Matthew's whole perspective is, how can I convince the Jews that Jesus is their coming Messiah? When we move to Mark, it's really this narrative of Jesus's life and his story in such a way that actually expands from the Jews to the Gentiles. How can I convince actually those outside the Jewish faith that Jesus is the Messiah, not just for the Jews, but also for all, all of humanity? So you see, you know, Matthew, you see Mark, um, and then when you get to, to uh to luke it 's really this real scholarly you know Luke was a doctor, um, so he really has this scholarly approach where he 's really trying to uh, convince like the Hellenists, like the really educated parts of uh, the Greek world that hey Jesus is the Messiah. Those three all stem together. Then you have John, who 's this sort of outlier because it 's the one gospel that isn 't actually named specifically. This is written by John, and John's written, obviously, 20 years later, so there's more of a reflective piece. So when I think about the Gospel of John, I really see the emphasis there as John's, hey, 20 years after, uh, after the rest were written, and really, you know, probably 30 to 40 years after Jesus had already resurrected— John reflecting back on what is the most important aspect of Jesus's life and ministry that I need to focus on. And I think where I personally see that is how he, he talks about Jesus as being like the lamb and Jesus as being the sacrifice. And because of his sacrifice, we are all invited into his presence. And he really says, you know what, if you want eternal life, you got to follow Jesus.
1: And I just want to add something like a little nugget in here that Like, these question-answer session things or whatever are really fun and great, and they're great to feel on the spot as someone up here, but they're never to replace, like, actually being in your own Bible, right? Like, it's not like, oh, I don't know the answer to this, so I'm just going to ask them and, like, take their answer. Like, you can test our answer, you know, you can study for yourself, and that would be the hope. That would be my hope, is that anytime you hear anything from me, that you, it it inspires you to go into scripture more, Um, and so... Just throwing that out there. But another thing um, that may inspire you to get more into scripture, and I've mentioned this before, and some of y'all know about it, and some of y'all are probably tired of me mentioning it, but there's a show called The Chosen. I'm not saying it's the best show in the world, I'm not saying it's the worst show in the world, but it has inspired a lot of people to get into their Bibles more. And one of the things that it's done is shown what possibly John's, like, what it was like for John to go back in it at an older age and think about, like, what you're saying describing you know, what, what are the things that I want to highlight? You know, since I'm older and since these things have happened, and so what do I want to highlight? So that's just a fun little nugget, not at all scholarly in any way, but just want to mention like, there are people out there or places out there that have interpreted that, you know, and, and done that. So, anyway.
2: Don't be shy. Yes.
4: Okay. I have a weird idea here. Because I'm looking at First John 4. And wouldn't it be cool if somebody played John and read this over our gathering and really said it like it was meant for us. For us. Hmm. So, Are you offering
1: to do that now? No.
4: I'm, I'm asking you all to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could, but it'd be cool. I mean, because there's a lot of stuff in here.
2: So what stands out to you when you're taking a look at 1 John 4?
4: So when I'm looking at it, first of all, he calls us friends. And he's calling us to love one another. Not the love of the world, but the love that God gives us, which is different. So everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God sets us apart. We're set apart. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed us love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. I know, I'm doing the thing I said I didn't want to do. (laughs) (laughs) This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And it goes on, I could keep going. (laughs) But what I really love, and I'm getting to it, there is no fear in love. And there's a lot to be fearful about today, but there's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. And that rings true with us. We're an inclusive community. I think John was speaking to us.
2: Mm. Yeah.
4: So, there you go.
2: Yeah, no, that, that's great. I mean, it's such a powerful section. I actually have a question for you guys. So, um, how have you seen God's perfect love perfected in your life?
4: Or
1: if the alternate question would be, how did you answer the question last week? Mm-hmm. If you'd like to share that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, got asking, how do you know I love you? How, wh- what did you feel? What did, what did you come up with? What were your answers? Whether sitting here or throughout the week as you thought about it or...
0: One of the things that struck me was how hard loving from John's perspective is. Um living into that, like, we'd like to say the holiness part is hard, but growing up a church mouse, like, holiness is actually a little bit (laughs) easier, you know, like, you see what other people do that you think are holy, you do those things, you know, sort of like when Kevin was talking about John, like, fan, you know, having a a huge, like, big fan moment of, like, oh my god, it's Jesus, right, and you just, like, try to do everything Jesus does, but I realized how hard loving from that perspective really is, and that that has been, those have been some of the hardest parts of my life where I beat myself up when I feel like I could have loved someone better. And then God comes into that moment and shows me how God still loves me and I did the best that I can. And like, yes, do better, love better next time, but it's okay. Sort of like, and that was the thing, like realizing loving is as hard as holiness And in church. We don't, we act like love is like only for the hippies, right? And like easy. So it wrecked me. I had a hard time after that thing. yellow Yeah. Yeah. No,
1: I really, like, I'm, I'm all about the law, right, if you want to use, like, biblical terms, right? I was just actually thinking of Paul uh, yesterday, you know, I love, I love the law, I love his commands, but then I do what I don't want to do. You know, I was thinking about that yesterday, and it is, it's so much easier for me personally. Like, I can, I can do, but can I be, you know, can I feel, can I, you know. Um, so, yeah, I definitely resonate with that.
5: I had a question, um, which is... I'm in the very back. Um, (laughs) It's me. (laughs) Um, So we we talked a little bit about John um, in context of the Gospels. I'm interested or would love to hear y'all's perspective on John as a character in context of the entire biblical story. Like, what do you think John's character... can show us about like like in the full context. I don't know. I'm just interested in y'all's perspective on that. <laughs> oh, so, oh, great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> when the production team gets involved. Okay, okay.
1: So you're asking about like what can we learn from John as a character, like as a whole kind of thing, yeah. right?
5: if we think of the collection of stories that is the entire bible why is john so prominent that he gets all these books and what? yeah the last chapter and 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 what is it about him that matters to the entire like to the character of god we see displayed from old testament to
1: new i see okay i'll start Anybody, There are plenty of you, too, in this room I know that are, like, trained. And I am not kidding when I say, like, feel free to chime in. Like, we are not experts up here, you know. Anyway, so, um, what we see from John in the beginning, or earlier years, or what we, what is portrayed of John, which Kevin and I both touched on, is this kind of, like, fiery passion for probably the law and truth and, like, those kinds of things. Which is not wrong, right? It's not. It's not unbiblical. It's not, you know, God is holy and he is just and, and there are, are things that we need, to, you know, anyway. So that's what we see from him in the beginning. And then we see that there is a shift where he doesn't like abandon truth or abandon the things that he's known or um, anything like that. But it, he shifts. And so I appreciate about John the whole picture of it's not just one or the other, it's and. Um, As to why he has the gospel and the other four books, I guess I don't know. Paul has a lot too, right? So I guess we could question all that. Why does does he have so many? Why does he have so many? Um, But that's personally what I appreciate about John is just seeing like at the beginning when he's so concerned about like this holiness aspect and this just like, Kevin talked about how, um, you know, hey, there's other people that are casting out demons in your name. Like, that's not cool. I want you to know about that. Or when he and his brother are, you know, looking at this group of Samaritans and saying, Jesus, we'll call down fire on them. You want us to? We will. We'll do it. You know, it's just like he obviously understood something about God. And we know that he did because he grew up in this culture, right? But... Did he really understand him? And so I just like to see the evolution of John, like how he changes through his writings and how he changes. Because without going outside of the gospel of John, you don't see a whole lot. You do see, like he says, I'm a disciple that Jesus loved. You see some of him in Acts. But otherwise, like without the other books, you don't necessarily know how much transformation there was.
2: Yeah. And The only thing I, I would add to that would be, just be the element of, of kingdom here because really every single book of the Bible— it really contributes to one consensus story, right? So the whole story of all the entire narrative, especially since you brought that up, all 66 books are propagating this idea that Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. So through the Old Testament, you're seeing this proclamation that one day the Messiah will come, and then the Gospels make that shift where, hey, now Jesus has come. All of the Gospels really center in on this idea of kingdom, so that the kingdom has been made manifest. I mean, really talking to the Jews, this is your king. Talking to the Gentiles, that there is actually a, a divine order to the whole universe. But then with John, you actually don't see that emphasis on kingdom as much. You actually see it more on obedience. Uh, he uses the word you know truth quite a bit uh, in his in his te- uh, particular book. And in my opinion, it's because he actually is making a distinction between yes, Jesus has come as king, but he's also come as somebody to be to be followed, right? And I think for him, it was this marked obedience in, the, in the, uh, the time when he got out of the boat to follow Jesus in the way that they did miracles. His book uh, emphasizes more miracles than all of the other gospels did. And I think it's because he's wanting his readers and for us today to know this guy's worth following, right? And I just think so many people in our culture today, they talk about Jesus, they know of Jesus, they even maybe say that they follow Jesus, but then when you start looking at their lives, you're like, where is the transformation that happens because of Jesus? And that's what we see John really emphasizing is, hey, when you follow Jesus, you don't just say you follow him, you actually get out of the boat and you walk with him, and your life is transformed. And maybe sometimes it even takes you some places you didn't necessarily expect to go. Um, and Jesus is going to do a work and a miracle in your life to make you whole. So particularly, I'm struck by that uh, that uh, passage in John where he really says, "Hey, if you want to be born again, like, if you want to know God, you have to be born again." Right? He he says that to Nicodemus in John. Three, I think, John 3 or 4. And he, he says, hey, if you want to know Jesus, you've got to be born again. So there's this element of transformation here that I think is just pivotal to John and why he gets so much time there to help drive that argument home.
1: And another thing just on that is kind of going back to the, the love talk or whatever. That sounds like strange to say that. But um, John's the one who wrote like John three sixteen, which is obviously such a well-known verse you know, and he's the one who wrote it because he, you know, wrote about the DSG, so. Do you have a counter <laughs> question or did that answer your question? Okay. I,
0: sure. I also wanted to, to share, particularly for, for why the worship team was thinking about the questions about John um, and was so excited about Kevin and Daniela preaching about John. Um, one of the things um, when we were choosing which characters to have f- featured is I was thinking of John because one of the things that we see happen in the Old Testament um, is that while Moses is gone being deeply devout and holy and with God the community is left and starts doing all kinds of craziness <laughs> um, and so one of the things that I think John, John's stories the letters John's, John writes the things that happen in the books that John is featured in that connect the whole Bible is that Even in Revelation, John is exiled on an island and away, and John really demonstrates for us how we be with each other even when there's physical distance between us in ways that allow us to stay holy and do the hard work of loving. Right? And so in the Old Testament, we see a lot of times that the person had to leave, and then now while they were gone, all this craziness happened, and community fell apart, and God was like, ah, why are there, you know, golden calves? Like, what is going on? Like, there was this idea that without someone present and like watching, we're left and left to our own devices that we can't figure it out. And John really shows us that once we do become whole and this kingdom work becomes a part of our mission in life, and we accept the story of Jesus as our messiah in community we we can still be okay even if our leader is exiled on an island and sending us stories of dreams that involve horsemen you know like he does that in revelation but then there's also letters that john writes to as a mentor to other church so this idea of how do we keep ourselves holy and how do we stay loving like we're not going to make these golden calves like in the Old Testament we've had Jesus with us like how does that happen I really loved for us right now to choose a character that managed to do that because we managed and are managing to do that and so having Kevin and Daniela highlight what John was saying and how John was living and why John thought that was important um, hopefully you all got something out of, out of that for yourself for like life in deep Ellum too. And not just geeking out <laughs> about John. So I think we have time for one more question.
2: As the band is coming up, you can ask your question.
0: <laughs> Any more questions?
3: This is probably not fair, and it's, it would lead to a much longer conversation. But John is is the most quotable, you know, is one of the most quoted. There's so many great one-liners and quotes from John. But one of the most powerful things, when, when I read the Bible, I open it up, and, and I get drawn to John 17 over and over again. That's that long prayer he has right before his passion. It's not quoted a lot, but it's probably the most powerful prayer I've ever read. Just any any quick thoughts about how theologians look at that or interpret it. Cause 25 years later, that's a pretty long prayer to, uh, <clears throat> to, to quote. I got nothing to do about how theologians
2: that's a whole <laughs> <laughs> syllabus. That's like two semester class. Well, I, Mar- think Mar- I think that's, I think that was the band. I, Mar- so. Mar- Mar-
3: I love John 17. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with it. Um,
1: You're making up for not being here for your own question. That's right.
3: <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, John 17 is so much more complicated and tricky than then when you read it at surface level it seems like there's this there's a surface level where okay there's these concentric circles and there's this organized way in which Jesus prays for himself and his disciples and the world but then when you start to dig deeper especially and I really love the way that you both like highlighted these, these grand themes of not only of John's scholarship and writing but also of his life because those are they, they serve almost as if their portals into this, this deeper understanding of John narrating a prayer that so it's like there's layers right um, and I really think you know I'm kind of stuck with my Lutheran theology upbringing and part of that upbringing is an obsession with calling right because Luther was all about the, the calling thing um, but, but when I, when I read when I read John 17 uh, the priestly prayer I really do find, like, a, a matrix—not necessarily for under, understanding, you know, in, in like bullet points what you should do to live out your calling—but through Jesus' concerns that appear in, in the prayer, you see an ethics, a way of living, a way of being in the world that that Jesus lived out while while on earth but and that he modeled for his disciples but also as expectations for for the people that he was going to leave behind so it's almost like a parent concerned for their for their child it's like they're going to mess up there will be confusion and the prayer is not a manual to dispel confusion it is a dialogue over the concerns of living out that vocation in the world but I really do think that, you know, the themes of light and love, they serve as bookends for all of those concerns. It's like this is where, this is where the buck ends. This is where it stops, right? It's, it's um, God's revelation and God's love. Yeah, for whatever it's worth. Yeah.
0: Let's thank, let's, let's thank Daniela and Kevin and even Marcel. Yay! I just, just want to end with the
1: one, like, I'll do it, John again, right? Circular, coming back to the point I made earlier. I never want anyone to take something that's said here and not feel the need to study the Bible for themselves. So please, it doesn't have to be you signing up for, like, seminary, right? It doesn't need to be that. Get a study Bible, read the comments, take it a chapter or a section at a time. Like, it doesn't need to be hard. Um, I mean, it can be hard. I'd say it can't be hard to want to do that, but... I encourage you to find a way that is interesting to you. Um, It
2: doesn't have to be just Google, right? Just get a study Bible and you'll find lots of good nuggets there. And as we transition now into our last song before we go, I just, uh, with that that idea of John 17, that prayer, these words of Jesus really stick out for us as we transition back to worship. Uh, Where Jesus is praying, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you who have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus is in you. Jesus is with you. And Jesus is sending you to make disciples of him as well. And so as we we come together here in worship, as we proclaim his name in song, may everything that we do and everything that we say exalt him. As John did, and as all disciples did, and as we do even today.